today is the third Sunday of the blessed month of Baoni. And the church during this month of Baoni is giving us a consistent theme throughout the readings of these weeks, which is about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And this coincides, of course, with the Feast of Pentecost, which we celebrated recently, and the Fast of the Apostles. And usually the church during this time encourages us to read the book of Acts because the book of Acts is the work of the early church, the work of the apostles, in which by the power of the Holy Spirit, which they received on Pentecost after the ascension of Christ, that they are manifesting the promises of God and, and, and the works of his salvation throughout the world. So... We could say, it's been said, that the book of Acts is the gospel of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the gospel of the Holy Spirit. So even though the gospel today is about the uh, exorcism of a demon-possessed man, but again, if we put it in the context of what the church is emphasizing in this period of time, in the life of the church, I think we would, um, it would be best for us to, to focus on a very specific thing that the Lord said in the gospel today when he was accused of casting out the demon by another evil spirit, by the, the, the demon, the real ruler of the demons, Beelzebub. In other words, he was using an evil power to perform some wonder. The Lord responded to the Pharisees and said, okay, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, then who will your sons, who do your sons cast out demons by? But then he said, therefore they shall be your judges, your sons who will also do these works that I'm doing. But if I cast out demons by what? The spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So this is the key, I think, for the, for the gospel reading this morning is that the Lord is directing us to the coming of the spirit, the work of the spirit, and the glory of the, the work of the spirit in our lives. Not only to cast out demons, uh, but more importantly, if we look at the book of Acts, it's to live in the Holy Spirit, to live in the Holy Spirit. So I want just to speak a little bit about that this morning with you. One of the promises of our Lord to the apostles and to all of us is he said to them, I will not leave you as orphans. And this is a beautiful promise. We think about all the many promises that the Lord he gave to the church, he gave to each one of us individually. But this one is very touching, you know, because all of, all of us can, maybe we didn't experience being an orphan, but we can, we can at least have enough empathy or compassion to have a sense of what it's like to be an orphan, you know, or, or to imagine you know, that feeling of being abandoned you know, in the world by those who are the closest to you and who are supposed to protect you and love you till the end and now taken away from you. So Christ, he says that God will not abandon us, will not leave us as orphans. And this is, if we want to say what is one of the themes that runs from in the Bible from the beginning to the end, it's, it's the theme that I am with you, that I created you out of love and I will sustain you with my love and I will fulfill my promises because of my love. And no matter what it seems like is happening in your life and, and in the world, we are never abandoned. We are never left as orphans. So even though it's possible that in our human experience, we might experience being an orphan or a widow or one of these kinds of tragedies, human tragedies, but God will never abandon us. 
But then, so he's always a father, right? But then what does it mean to always be a son? And St. Paul says something in his epistle to the Romans, which is very, it's very, it's a very short verse, but it's very important and powerful. He says, as many as are led by the Spirit, uh, by the Spirit these are sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. So if we know God is fulfilling His promise to be a father, not to leave us as orphans. But what does it mean for me to remain a son? And St. Paul gives us this beautiful verse as a key. To be a son means to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. And again, I think this verse is very important for us in these days when we are reflecting on what it means that Christ has ascended, that he has left the human realm in which he was living in among the apostles and the peoples of Jerusalem and Galilee and Nazareth and so on, but that he is with us in spirit, that, that he abides in us by his Holy Spirit, that God is guiding us by his Holy Spirit, that God is directing our lives through his Holy Spirit. And so to be a son is to be one who agrees to be led by the Spirit. Very simple. And not, not only is it simple in its definition, but it's also, in a sense, one of the definitions of holiness. Right? Again, we can open the Bible and ask, what does it mean to be a saint? And we can find, you know, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we can find all of these verses that speak about perfection. But another way for us to think about perfection is being led totally by the Spirit, completely by the Spirit. That the only voice that directs our life, the only voice that we hear and live by, is the voice of God in His Spirit. So, uh, Elder Paisios, he says that the Holy Spirit descends on us when we remove the rust from the cables that connect us to God. Right? So he gives us this image of a cable that's connecting the source of power, the source of energy, the source of life to every human person. And he says that the Holy Spirit is a continuous um, penetration, continuous flow of God's life to us. And our work is simply to remove the rust to allow God's voice to be heard, to allow God's power and life and, and, and grace to be manifested in our life. So this is what we want just to reflect on together. How do we remove that rust? How, how do we live an interior life that is conducive to hearing and living by the Holy Spirit? But the first, I think, thing that is important for us is that not only is the Holy Spirit... Um, a promise that God has given to each one of us which we receive in baptism and therefore it is our possession by rights, by, uh, by, by sonship but the Holy Spirit also is very subtle elusive the Holy Spirit is, is not we can't grab and say oh, this is the Holy Spirit right? Holy Spirit is, 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 is the work of God in us is the, is the life of God in us which works very subtly and quietly Right. And one of the, the great um, stories in the Bible about how this subtleness of God manifests itself is in the story of Elijah. And you, you know the story. 
you probably know the story. Elijah is fleeing from Jezebel, and um, God summons Elijah to appear before him on Mount Horeb, which is the same as Mount Sinai, where, where Moses met God. And so Elijah, he comes to Mount Horeb, and the Bible says, and you, if you want to read the whole account, it's in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And it's a very nice uh, chapter to meditate on. And so Elijah is on the mountain and he's summoned by God to meet with him there. And he's waiting for this encounter with God. Now, if one of us has been summoned by God to wait for him for an encounter with him, we can imagine what we're expecting, right? We're expecting thunder, fire, an earthquake, a loud voice from heaven, right? And all of these things actually happen. But what, um, what the Bible says is that um, that he was on the mountain and then there was a great wind. But then the Bible says, but God was not in the wind. And then there was a, a great fire, but God was not in the fire. And then there was a great earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. And then it says, but then there was a gentle whisper. And the voice of God came to Elijah in this gentle whisper. Now, this, uh, this uh, um, translation, gentle whisper, actually, if you go through the different translations, it's very difficult to translate the, the right, uh, specific, literal meaning. It's in, one, in, the new, in the new revised standard version, which is a very uh, prominent, acceptable translation, the translation is more of in the sheer silence. The sheer silence. So it's, it's even more elusive, even more subtle than a whisper. It's in the total silence of the heart, in the total silence of, of, of not only the exterior thunder and, and, and fire and earthquake, but it's in that silence of the heart, the silence of the mind in which the voice of God came, comes to Elijah. And, and this is how subtle the Holy Spirit works in our life. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit will guide us, will direct us, and it will just seem like we were inspired by something. In one of the, the accounts of St. Faustina, the Polish nun, at the end of one night when she was uh, retiring to her cell, her monastic cell, she had this feeling, go check on mother so-and-so. Mother so-and-so was an elderly mother who was very sick and uh, and she just had this thought to go and see if mother so-and-so had, uh, had need of anything before the end of the day. So when she went to go visit the, the elder, uh, elder's mother, the nun, she said, thank God you came. I was, I was dying of thirst and I was so weak, I couldn't even call for help. I couldn't move, I couldn't call out, I couldn't, I couldn't find anyone to help me. And, and St. Faustina, when she went back to her cell, she was overwhelmed by this presence of God, which confirmed that this was an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, at the time that she had that feeling, what did she, did she hear the voice of God? Did she hear Faustina go to, no, of course not. And none of us probably will hear God speaking to us in such a way. Nor will we be so overwhelmed that it is the voice of God and not the voice of our conscience or the voice of uh, a good thought. 
and, and this is an, an important aspect of, of living in the Holy Spirit, is that we, we aren't looking for something grand and supernatural. We want that our own thoughts, our own instincts, our own inspirations are guided by the Holy Spirit, initiated by the Holy Spirit. But they will come to us spontaneously as it did to Faustina. So this is sort of what like, I think of as this um, continuous GPS in our life. Right? Imagine each of us knows that we are, we are bombarded by all kinds of thoughts. Our own thoughts, probably thoughts from the devil and thoughts from God, thoughts from our imagination, thoughts from our memory, thoughts from our wishful thinking, whatever. I mean, we are bombarded with all kinds of ideas and thoughts. Imagine if you could be sure that the only thought that guided your life was the voice of God. So that everything that you did was go left. You know that this was from God. Call so-and-so, this was from God. Pray now, this was from God. You know, um, open your Bible, this was from God. Um, check on so-and-so, this is from God. I mean, what a, what a beautiful thought. And, and, and perhaps the saints arrive at some level of this. I, I wouldn't say that, of course, the saints... They're human, so they don't live in this way 100%. But more so than, than many of us, their thoughts and their ideas and their inspirations and their motivations comes from them. But it's that GPS that's prompting them, that divine GPS that's prompting them. And that's what we mean by being led by the Holy Spirit. So very quickly... I just want to mention these points as to how do we remove that rust? How do we remove that rust that allows us on the inside to be conducive to being led by the Holy Spirit? The first one is that our inner life should be filled with thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving and praise. Many of the saints, they talk about how when we give thanks to God, we in a sense provoke him to give more. And this is true. Whenever a child is grateful to a parent for the gifts, the parent wants to even give more, right? But I would say that it's not only that God gives more, but that thanksgiving and praise reveal God more. They, they expose the presence of God more. We know God is everywhere. He fills all things. He's present in all places. He's dwelling in our hearts and in our minds. But praise and thanksgiving open up for us sort of the, 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 the blinds to allow the light to shine in, that we recognize the presence of God, which is, again, what we want, to be able to distinguish His voice and His presence from something foreign. Another, um, again, I'm talking about not activities that we do. That's why I'm not going to speak about prayer and worship. I'm talking about the things that we, the inner, I call them spiritual dispositions, whatever you want to call them, um, that guide everything that we do, including prayer and reading and worship and so on, and service. A strong determination to obey God in everything. A desire, a continuous desire in, in your heart and in my heart to want to obey God in everything, to not refuse Him anything. As, as, as many have sort of used this image, I don't know where it originated, it's sort of signing a blank check in the morning, Right? You know, when you sign a check, you have to put the dollar amount. Otherwise, the person can fill in the dollar amount and it's going to be deducted from your bank account. As long as you sign, anybody can write. So, but what we want to do with God is, in a sense, sign that blank check that 
Let him fill in the amount of what he wants from us that day, what he demands from us that day. And to have that, that attitude that God, I will, today I will make the effort to refuse you nothing. If you ask me to forgive somebody today, I will not refuse. If you ask me to let something go at work, I will not refuse. If you ask me to make a little bit of sacrifice at home that I don't want to do, I will do it. Whatever you ask of me, I, will, I determine from now to obey you. The third one is trust and abandonment. And these are themes that we speak of over and over again. But what the saints call the obedience to events. That is, accepting the providence of God as it unfolds in your life. Not rebelling against everything that happens. Not letting the day be ruined because you got stuck in some traffic. Or because you, you, know, you got a phone call that, uh, that upset you. But allowing the events of the day, allowing the events of life to take their course and to, again, surrender to them, accepting that they come from the hand of God. Right? Accepting that they come from the hand of God. As one of the saints said, I decide to choose what I have not chosen. Again, I decide to choose what I have not chosen. So the things that I would not choose to be stuck in traffic, to deal with some annoying person at work, to, you know, pick up the dog poop, which I'm doing a lot of now, right? <laughs> to whatever it is, the things, that I, the things that I would not choose to do, I now choose to do them. It's not about just accepting it begrudgingly. It's saying, no, I, I, want to, I will choose now to do this thing that I a minute ago would have chosen not to do. That's the kind of obedience to events that we're talking about. The next one is detachment. And detachment here again is not some grand thing of, you know, all of us becoming like St. Anthony and, and selling everything that we have and going living in the mountain. Detachment is an inner decision to not be a slave to whatever it is that's in your life that occupies either your time, your possessions, the people in your life is to, is to have a safe uh, and, 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 and honorable distance from attachment so that you can be attached more perfectly to God. And a story that I'm sure you've heard me say more than once is about the, the, the monastic who was praying how to be perfect and he, he, an angel tells him to go to this church and he will find the answer to his prayer. So he goes in and as he is ascending the steps of the church, he finds a, a beggar. So he says to the beggar on his way in, excited to find the answer to his prayers, good day, sir. So the beggar says to him, and good day to you too. But if you don't mind me saying, I've never had a bad day. So the, the monk is intrigued. How can you say as a beggar, begging naked on the street, that you've never had a bad day? So he said, what I'm saying is not presumptuous, but in fact, if God sends the rain, I praise him and glorify him. If he opens the sky and, and shines the sun, I'm just as grateful. If he sends me food, I'm very satisfied. And if he doesn't send me food, I'm very happy to fast that day. And in such a way, he says, I have never had a bad day. So he says, so the monk says to him, where did you find God? And the answer he says was, when I left creatures. When I, when I left creatures, I found God. Right? When, I, when I detached myself from all that's worldly and creaturely, then I discovered more perfectly God in my life. 
And he says, and the monk now is astounded, and he says, who are you? He says, I'm a king. And he says, and where is your kingdom? He says, my kingdom is in my heart where everything is in perfect order. My kingdom is in my heart where all my soul is in good order. And that's that detachment, right? Where, again, there's that perfect satisfaction, contentment, and peace within. The next one is to do all things in a spirit of silence, solitude. And that doesn't mean, again, it begins, certainly it begins with exterior silence. We have, to, we have to practice exterior silence. We have to have moments of the day, even days at a time when we can, when, God, when it allows us to go on retreats and things like that, to spend time going through the difficulty of silence. You know, even if it means throughout the day going somewhere and just, you know, putting your phone aside, putting everything aside and just sitting uncomfort even uncomfortably for a few minutes in silence. I remember during my 40 days when I was ordained and uh, I spent my 40 days in Egypt, I remember um, one of the monks, uh, he wasn't a hermit, but, but he, had, he had built several miles deep into the desert, like a little, uh, it wasn't a cave, it was more of like a, like a simple villa, like a two-story like prayer, like uh, villa. It wasn't extravagant, it was a piece of you know, concrete with a lower floor for him to sleep on and then a, like a balcony where he would pray, like at night. So he invited me one night to, to go and I thought to myself, that's strange. He's not a hermit, so he's not, he doesn't live there. He's like, it's like his vacation or something. I, I, didn't, I didn't quite understand. And he's already living in the desert. I mean, I already felt living in, in the desert silence. It was, it was, you know, at night, the wind, the silence and when the wind, you know, sort of comes through the silence, you feel, you are, you feel the, 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 the discomfort of the desert. So I thought, what's the need to go even further in the desert when we already are, are in total solitude here? And so he picked me up one day and we went and driving and it was almost frightening. I have to say it was, was frightening because as you're going a couple of miles in the desert, now it's kind of like when you're like deep in the, the ocean and you can't see land. And, and, and so you have this sense of like, well, what if something happens out here? <laughs> and, and you feel really the, the, the solitude and the silence. There's no sound. There's, no, there's nothing. There's no, and, the, and in the desert, when you go that deep, there's nothing. There, we didn't come across any life. No creatures. Just, and, and that evening we, we spent on, on the balcony and, uh, you know, having karkadeh and tea and all these, these uh, Egyptian drinks and talking about the spiritual life. And I understood. I understood why, for him, the deeper silence is even necessary in the monastery. You know? and, and that there are those who are brave enough to even go deeper, deeper and deeper into the silence. And, and that for the monk... They understand that it is in the silence that God speaks, like Elijah. It is in the silence that we, we were able to turn off all of the distortion and the antenna becomes much more clear. Um, another important thing for us is cultivating good thoughts, purity of heart. It's very difficult for us to hear the voice of God, to be led by the Holy Spirit, 
when we are full of judgment, condemnation, malice, negative thoughts against others. Elder Paisius once was visited by a young man. He was actually a teenager, like many of our teenagers here. But this teenager had a very pure heart. He couldn't cultivate bad thoughts. And, and Elder Paisius, he tested him. So when, when the young man came to visit Elder, he, didn't, he never saw Elder Paisius before. So he knocked on the cell of Elder Paisius in Mount, in Mount Athos in Greece. And Elder Paisius answered and he said, uh, what do you want? He says, I, I want to see Elder Paisius. And he said, uh, he went to, and this was Elder Paisius who was answering. And he said, he went to go buy cigarettes. So the young man, again, in the purity of his heart, he says, Elder Paisius, he probably went to go help somebody who was in need. So Elder Paisius says, no, 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 he went to go buy cigarettes for himself. He's, he smokes continuously. And then the young man, he said, Elder Paisius is so burdened by all of our problems. You see how he refuses to judge him. So he says, what do you want from him? He says, I want to take his blessing. He says, there's no blessing to take. I know the man, he left me here to die. I'm probably going to leave after a few hours if he doesn't come back. And he's going to come back. If he comes back, he's going to come back grouchy and in a bad mood. And probably he's going to be drunk because he also is an alcoholic. So the young man starts tearing and he says, if it's okay, I still want to wait and receive his blessing and give him a letter. And Elder Paisius was astonished. He said, no matter what I try to do, to see if this young man could cultivate bad thoughts about Elder Paisius, he couldn't. Right? What a beautiful story about the purity of heart. And so, again, if we want God's presence and voice to be more clear in our lives, we need to fight against those negative thoughts, against those um, malicious, envious, judgmental thoughts towards others. And then, finally, spiritual direction and confession. Of course, it goes without saying that we need guidance from others who are ahead of us in the path or who are experienced in the path or who are knowledgeable about the path to be able to help us along the way in discerning, is this the voice of God or is this the voice of myself or is this the voice of the devil? And so in the Desert Fathers, we often read that the, a young monk would go to an Abba and say, I had this thought, and the Abba, being full of the Holy Spirit, would immediately say, this thought is from God, go and fulfill it. This thought is from the devil, ignore it. It, it could be something very good, like I had this thought that I should um, you know, pray uh, more. And the elder would say, this thought is from the devil. You all remember probably the story of Abu Nabshoy Lantuni, who, who told us about the thought that he had when he was a young monk, um, you can probably find the story on, on YouTube. He's said it many times. But he, he, um, he had this thought as a young, man, young, monk to, young monk to be like a hermit in his cell. Not to go out deep in the desert, but just to sort of close himself in more and more in his cell and, and to do hundreds of prostrations every day and not to see anybody and to shut the door and, and, and to just be like a hermit in his cell. And he did that without guidance. So after doing it for some days, one of the elder monks... He knocks on his door and Ayun Abshoi says, yes. And he says, my son, St. Anthony, has appeared to me three times. And he's telling you to come out of your cell. This is not from God. So Abuna opens the door and he says, what? He says, my son, St. Anthony, the patron of this monastery, he came to me once 
He came to me a second time, and when he came to me the third time, I knew that it was from God, and he loves you, and he cares for you, and he's telling you, leave your cell. So Abu Nimshoi wasn't convinced. So he said, why did he go to you and not come to me? So the elder monk said, these are the ways of God, my son, we can't question, scrutinize God's ways. He said, I'm not convinced. I want a clear sign personally. I want a clear sign personally that I should leave myself. So the elder knew, knew that this was sort of a dangerous request. He said, as you wish, my son, we will pray and ask God to give you a clear sign. So he said, I don't know, sometime after that, very soon after that, the ceiling of his uh, cell collapsed on him and uh, he almost broke his back and they had to remove him from the rubble on a stretcher into the ambulance and until today he still has back problems from this injury. And so as he's on the stretcher, they're taking him to the ambulance. The elder monk is running to him. He says, my son, my son, is it clear? Is it clear? <laughs> it's clear, Abba, it's clear. So even, even, even the, our, our blessed fathers who dedicate themselves to worshiping God and praying and fasting, even they need to, to scrutinize their thoughts with experienced elders. And, and, uh, and it's not about... When you go to a confession father, you go to Abuna Andrew or myself, any of the priests. It's not, that, it's not that we are holy, but it is that God has established that through the humility of each one of us, when we open our hearts to another, God speaks. And this is very important because fatherhood in the church is not just a charismatic gift. It is a charismatic gift for some people, but it is a sacrament which means that God is always working in the sacrament. Sacrament is never on or off. Like, you can't say, well, it depends on how well we pray. Maybe the bread will become the body and the blood of Christ. If we are fervent, if we're all bad today, it might not happen. No, no matter if each one of us comes, having committed adultery and murder this morning, when Abuna prays, it will become the body and the blood of Christ. The same thing happens in confession. God is working through the priest, despite the sinfulness of the priest, despite... The, 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 the priest is much worse than the person coming to him but this is a sacrament and so God has ordered that, that the church benefit from this, this, these structures in the church these means of grace and vehicles of grace in the church so it's good for us to go and put our thoughts before somebody to, to allow God through our humility to speak to us and to give us that, that discernment may the Lord Jesus Christ who promised us that we would not be left orphans and who gave us from his Father, the Holy Spirit, to guide us and to lead us into all sanctification. To him be all glory now and ever to the age of ages. Amen.